Hello, and welcome to our pilot episode of Seen Into the Mind. I am your host, Kurt Sarasano, and I am joined by Wayne Gee and John Ernst. Today, we will be discussing eyewitness testimony and how it relates to memory biases. Let's turn it over to Wayne to give us the basics. Thanks, Kurt. Like you said, today we are covering some very crucial topics that are related to our court system. Eyewitness testimony is an account given by bystanders and or victims in a courtroom, recording that they observed during the instance in question. Eyewitness testimony can play a big factor in determining the outcome of a case. Now, I would like to bring in my friend Will Schaltes to hear his opinion on eyewitness testimony. So, Will, what is your opinion on eyewitness testimony, and do you think it is an accurate way to tell if someone is innocent or guilty? Well, Kurt, I believe that it is a very accurate way of proving someone guilty because the witness would most likely be able to tell who committed the crime if he or she was able to get a good look at that person. Well, Will, in a surprisingly large number of cases, you will find that little physical evidence is available, so the courts have to rely on witness, witnesses to tell what happened, which is not the most accurate way of telling if someone is innocent or guilty. They can swing the jury's vote very easily since the eyewitness since the eyewitnesses are the only people to actually see what occurred. The big downfall of this, though, is that eyewitness testimonies are not very reliable for a number of re reasons, which can lead to false imprisonment or justice not being served. Many of these reasons can be attributed to memory biases. Memory biases are things that affect either positively or negatively how we record memory. Some examples of memory bias uh, leaving and sharpening, hindsight and misattribution. Uh, leveraging and sharpening occurs when certain details are lost over time or other teams are further exaggerated and replaced with lost information. This can lead to eyewitness leave out info such as what the perpetrators like looks like and instead of remembering what sharply would happen. The next memory bias we will cover is hindsight bias which occurs when the eyewitness recalls the event as what is predictable and not necessarily what actually happened. This is when the eyewitness thinks, I've known it all along. So they could think some did it in a lineup and then when it comes out that uh, someone else did the crime, they would say they knew it all along. This type of bias leads to people who are innocent to be incarcerated for a crime they did not commit. Finally, the last memory bias we will cover today is misattribution. This is when an eyewitness remembers information but they forgot the source. This occurs in a lot of cases where it's highly publicized. Uh, the eyewitness may record information that they saw on TV or on the internet instead of what they actually experienced during the instance. This is a very common memory bias that we see a lot in famous cases. Now, let's look at a famous case that hinged an eyewitness testimony, but was unfortunately filled with memory biases, which led to false imprisonment of a man, Sharif Cousin. Unfortunately, this is not an uncommon occurrence, and innocent people are ruled guilty for crimes they did not commit. Now, we'll turn it over to John to further elaborate on this special case. Thanks, Kurt. On March 2nd, 1995, Michael Girardi, a white male, was shot in the face during a robbery on a street in the French Quarter of New Orleans. His date, Connie Babin, gave a rough description to the police as she did not get a great view of the perpetrator. 
She was also not wearing her contact lenses or glasses. Thus, she was only able to see patterns and shapes. There was no physical evidence left behind either. Nonetheless, on March 28, 1995, Sharif Cousin, a black male, was arrested for the crime. The case rested solely on the testimony of three eyewitnesses. One was Miss Babin, who positively identified Mr. Cousin in court, even though she initially had said she did not get a good look at the assailant and although she had acknowledged she was not wearing her prescription glasses at the time. The other eyewitnesses had only testified Mr. Cousin from a police photo spread and testified that he looked vaguely like a killer. Mr. Cousin was convicted absent of physical evidence and in the face of a strong alibi defense. At the time of the crime, he was playing in an organized basketball game of which there was video evidence and his presence and the time of the event were confirmed by two athletic directors, his coach, and members of the opposing team. In addition, one of his former friends testified actually against Mr. Cousin because of police coercion and misconduct. Was Mr. Cousin convicted because he actually did it or because of memory biases, which affected the eyewitness's recallability? To answer that question, we have Wayne to help us. Take it away, Wayne. In this case, we have a lot of issues affecting our eyewitnesses. The first and most obvious one is that Ms. Babin was not wearing his pres prescription glasses or contact lens. How could she be able to positively identify Ms. Cousin if all she could see was patterns and shapes? If any of you at home wear glasses, you can t testify that it is hard to see without them. So how could she? The next questionable piece we come across is, is that another eyewitness said that he look, looked vaguely like a killer. How does someone look vaguely like a killer? You cannot convince uh, someone because they looks like a killer. Finally, the biggest issue in that case involves the police coercion or misconduct. Could the police have told them false information that led to misattribution memory bias? Well, when I think we have many memory biases here besides just mis misattribution. I think we could have some hindsight bias in play with her saying he looks like a killer. Once they have arrested someone, she is going to think that of course it is Mr. Cousin since he was arrested. I think sharpening and leveling could also play a factor since it was close to a year between the time that the murder took place and Mr. Cousin was convicted. Details fade over time, and it seems likely that she would have forgot, forgotten details, especially since she could not see clearly to begin with. Thankfully, though, the courts overturned the decision and, Mr. Cousin, and set Mr. Cousins free 46 months after he was sentenced. This, this case ended all for Mr. Cousin, but not all do. That is why psychologists have taken it upon themselves to learn how to improve eyewitness testimony. Here's John with the report. Eyewitness testimonies are powerful, arguably even the most persuasive form of evidence in the courtroom. Unfortunately though, the accuracy of eyewitness testimonies isn't always the greatest. Inaccurate eyewitness testimonies have been implicated in more than 75% of DNA ex exoneration cases. This number is extraordinarily high. Psychology, psychology can teach us how to take precautions to avoid faulty eyewitness testimony. They have suggested educating both jury and eyewitness 
on how to give good testimony and how to spot false testimony. They've also talked about adjusting how witnesses are interviewed and how lineups are adjusted. Their biggest focus has been on the or the misinformation effect, which is when incorrect information has been presented to the witness between the time of the incident and their next memory text, which is often in the courtroom. This is often the case when a crime is, is witnessed by multiple people. All of the witnesses may converse and then blend what they saw with what others saw to give a more complete account. Every day, psychologists are discovering how we can cut down on misinformation, leading questions, and so much more. Psychologists are how the court system is going to be able to better execute justice. Unfortunately, folks, that's all the time we have for today. So I'm going to turn it over to Wayne for the recap. As we bring our very first podcast to a close, we learned a lot today. We found that memory biases can both positively and negatively affect how witnesses are able to record information from incidents. These biases can make eyewitness testimony very unreliable, but thankfully, psychologists have taken it upon themselves to study eyewitness testimony and memory biases. They have been able to see how they related and provide us with some useful tips to keep in mind in order to avoid memory biases. Some tips include writing down everything you saw right after the incident. Uh, secondly, do not feel pressure to have all the information. If you do not say or remember everything, that's okay. As long as you provide the court with everything that you know, then you are helping to the extent of your ability. It is very important to remember those tips because crimes happen hundreds of times every day. You never know when you may may be the witness to a crime. Your testimony could change the outcome of a case and make sure justice is served. Thank you for turning and stay on the lookout for next week's podcast, which is focused on the brain and how head injury can influence how our brain functions.